Gracious Lord, what a great opportunity we have here today to come and worship you for what you've done for us. We come to you with thanksgiving in our hearts, so grateful for what you've done for us. And I don't, I don't even think that we uh, understand or think about and, and really marinate on the, the depths of what you've done. But even though we don't quite grasp all of it, we still say thank you. And we look forward to that day where we get to spend forever and eternity with you and have ultimate clarity. So we thank you so much for doing all this. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Amen. Thanks. Thanks for joining us this morning. Um, if you wouldn't mind, could, could everybody take your, your phones out and just kind of hold them up? I, I want to take a survey here. You've got a smartphone. You've got to... You're, 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 you got a flip phone, whatever it is, hold, hold it up for me. I want to want to kind of get a, a, a key here. Okay, you've got a lot of people holding it up. Some people aren't. You're being stubborn. While you have it up in your hand, won't you turn it on vibrate for me? Won't you turn it on silence? Please, please do that. I mean, you know, uh, Somebody might be calling you in, in the midst of this to, to figure out what time lunch is. Uh, but you can, unless it's Jesus, you can let it go to voicemail. And you, you can catch them later. If, if there's any Trekkies here in the house, you know, when they would beam to a new land or a new place, they would say, well, turn your phasers on stun. But thank you for, thank you for doing that, uh, especially putting them on silent and, and vibrate. What, what's interesting about this is, is how the world has has changed for us. You know, nearly all of you held up your phone here, whether it's a smartphone, flip phone, whatever you got. Everybody has this device that we carry around and, you know, in your pocket, in your purse, or, or whatever have you. Um, I want to show you a couple pictures first as we, we start our, our message here today. This first picture is, a, is of the first computer. So here we have the uh, what's known as the Babbage Difference Engine, and that was designed by Charles Babbage in 1822. And it's what's known as one of the, the first, if not the first, computer. Basically, it was a humongous calculator, to, to put it very simply. It, it, it calculated polynomials and other mathematical functions used in engineering, science, and navigation. And so um, it was a, a big computing machine, so to speak. The second picture I want to show, in, in 1946, the Electronic Numerical Integrator and Computer, it's a mouthful to say, but it's shortened as ENIAC, was designed primarily for the U.S. military. And as you see from this picture, this joint is humongous. This is a, one computer that takes up an entire room. And, and it, it had very little computing power. It cost about $6 million. It was called a giant brain because it can make calculations in 30 seconds what took a human 20 hours to do. That doesn't sound like much to us today because we're kind of used to that at this point. But again, it took up the entire room. But here's what people thought about computers at the time. The, the magazine Popular Mechanics is quoted as saying, computers in the future may weigh no more than 1.5 tons. Wow, I hope not. 1.5 tons. Thomas Watson, who was the chairman of IBM at the time, he says, I think there is a world market for maybe 
five computers. They thought, well, it's not going to be imagined. Nobody's going to have, we'll only have maximum five in the world. Even in 1977, the chairman of the founder, the chairman and founder of uh, Digital Equipment Corp says, there is no reason anyone will want a computer in their home. The advancement of computers and technologies, it was unimaginable to them. And here we are in 2022 carrying computers in our pockets. Something that was unimaginable to them at the time, this little device, the little device you held up just a moment ago, is a ton more complex than the ENIAC I just showed that took up an entire room. It's millions of times smaller, it's millions of times faster, and it's a million times less expensive. I'm sure you didn't pay $6 million for your smartphone. There is no comparison to what we originally started with versus what we have today. You didn't, learn, you didn't know you were going to learn about computers when you came to church this morning, did you? <laughs> That's probably not what you expected. But imagine if you went in a time machine and you went back to 1940 and you talked to some of these people at the time and you told them that everyone, not only would everyone have a computer in their home, but they would carry around computers in their pockets. Imagine having this conversation with somebody in 1940. They would think you were insane. They would probably laugh in your face. <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. You have no idea what this means. And they would just think you're just, just crazy. Like, ah, oh, just, just go to the side. Don't, don't talk to anybody. Talk to anybody. Well, brothers and sisters, this is how some people then and now think about the resurrection. It's unimaginable. It's unbelievable, this resurrection of Jesus. And since the time that Jesus conquered the grave, all the way until today, there are people that just can't wrap their brains around the resurrection of Christ. It is truly unimaginable. How are we supposed to believe this? Turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Luke chapter 24. And we'll talk about this very thing. Luke 24. We'll start in verse 1. And here God's word reads, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they had went, went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. They, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead. He's not here. <laughs> he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third, and on the third day rise? We all know the story. We've heard it a time or two. To understand there was a man named Jesus and he lived and was the son of God, and he died and rose on the third day. But what, rewind that. You mean to tell me that, that somebody died and they came back to life? Again, this, it's unimaginable. It's unbelievable for us. I don't know about you, but I don't know anybody that's come back from the dead. Have, have you? Got quiet. 
Uh, not, not only, that's just not normative. That doesn't happen every day. And by the way, it didn't happen every day in Jesus' day either. It was not a normal occurrence that people would die and come back from the grave. Some of you might have questions. And believe it or not, questions are healthy. I've been to churches when I was growing up as a kid. People would get uh, upset when questions would be asked. And just have faith. Yes, have faith. But, you know, when you came in today, we didn't ask you to check your, check your brains at the door. At least I hope not, Vic. You didn't. Okay, just making sure. We don't want to do that here. We want you to bring your brains into the sanctuary with you because God has given us wisdom and he expects us to use it. Any scholar that has studied history, archaeology, and even text outside of the Bible will affirm that Jesus, the Jesus that we read about here in Scripture, was in fact a historical man. And this is not something that scholars will argue. People have, who have diligently, diligently studied, again, not only the Bible, but extra-biblical texts or things outside of the Bible, historical evidence, archaeology, these scholars have, that have spent their lives studying this thing will not argue that there was an historical Jesus. But what's the deal with resurrection? Why does that matter? Why is that so important? I'm glad you asked. I appreciate that. Because the resurrection of Jesus is foundational to the Christian faith. Is vitally important. Without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. Our faith, our religion, would be meaningless. It would fall apart if not for the resurrection. That's how important this is. That's why we talk about That's why we celebrate here today. Not, not just today, by the way. I'm celebrating every day that he is risen because it's that important. There's no Christianity without the resurrection. If the resurrection is true, then it validates who Jesus claimed to be. Because even, even when we saw the angels here in, in Luke, they say, hey, Jesus told you this was gonna happen. Jesus said this was gonna take place. And so if it actually happened, and we see it, it take place, all of his claims became true. Jesus himself, who, who claimed to be God incarnate, which uh, means that God, he's God in the flesh, as well as the Messiah of the Old Testament that the Old Testament pointed to. And Jesus tried to tell people over and over again what was about to happen. He tried his best, but people just didn't get it. They didn't understand. He told them he would, they, they would, uh, he would be resurrected. He's talking to the disciples in, in Matthew 17 and 22. He says, as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. I mean, you can't get any more clear than this. For him to say, this, this is what is about to happen. I'm going to be taken, I'm going to be killed, but I'm going to rise on the third day. The problem is they had no idea what he was talking about. Like, is he talking in riddles or like is these metaphors happening? 
How are we supposed to understand it? They, they couldn't take it at face value because it was unimaginable that he would die and come back. Even though he told them in plain English, they had no idea what he was talking about to be res- Well, it wasn't actually English. It was probably Aramaic, but you get the, you get the point. He told them straight up that he will be killed and raised on the third day. And they just were dumbfounded. They had no idea. Maya Angelou is quoted as saying, when people show you who they are, believe them the first time. This is an interesting quote from her. And it's often used in a negative connotation because people want to ignore the red flags that they see in others. I'm sure this resonates for some of you like it does for me. It's funny that if, if people are abusive, dishonest, or otherwise unhealthy, we want to be optimistic. Oh, well, they meant well. Oh, they'll change. Oh, they'll, they'll do better. Oh, they, they, they were just in a bad place. We want to be optimistic when people treat us wrongly. However, when people are good and, and honest and loving and caring, we think there's an ulterior motive. We think there's something wrong. Why, why are you being so nice to me? Why are you helping me with my bags? Why are you wanting to open the door? What's wrong with you? <laughs> That's really interesting how we look at these things. But when we're dealing with people who can have ulterior motives, they can be, be wrong in various ways. If there's one person we can trust, is Jesus. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that no one is good, not, no, not one, Romans 3 and 10 says this. No one understands, no one who seeks God. So all of us in this room, as much as I love to trust you, I know you're not good. Or maybe, maybe you're better than I am. I don't know. But the Bible says, no, no one is good. No one seeks after God. Jesus is the only good that we have. Jesus has a perfect track record. He's He's, uh, what, he's, what he said he's going to do, he has done. And that's why we can trust him. So if what he said about the resurrection is true, then we can trust everything else that he said. If, if, he, if he told us he's going to do this uh, unimaginable thing, such as being killed and, and be risen from the dead, it's, it's kind of a, a lot easier to believe everything else he talked about. This amazing feat that, that people don't haven't seen before or seen very sparingly. Like, well, if he can do that, he can do anything. So he said he's gonna, he said he's the, the way, the truth, and the life. We can believe that. He, he says he's going to prepare a place for us. We can believe that, and I can't wait. So if the resurrection is true, then it also proves God's immense power. So to believe in the resurrection is to believe in God. We got to get this, right? That God is the one who sent his one and only son. So to believe in the resurrection, we have to believe in God. So if God exists and he created everything in the universe, then he also has the power to raise the dead. I don't know how we mix that up. If you believe in a God who spoke in the universe, left into existence, you don't think he can raise the dead? Matter of fact, 
You don't think he can handle your little problems you have in your own life? Like, oh, I got this. I'm not going to pray about it. Who do, you, who do you think you are? The God who, who made everything that is, you won't go to him first? You got it? <laughs> well, let me know how that turns out. If God doesn't have the power to do all these things, then, then he's not worthy of our faith and worship. You didn't think you were going to hear that in church either, did you? If God does not do the things he says he's going to do, if God is not the one he says he is, then he is not worthy of our worship and praise. People walk around thinking, well, I don't understand this Bible. I don't understand God, and I need to understand in order to follow. Listen, if, if God is infinite, and he's created everything that you is, or everything that there is, and you're finite, you, you don't have the capacity to understand. Like, I don't have the capacity to understand physics, but I, I know gravity works. This is vitally important for us. If God didn't have the power to do what he said he's going to do, he's not worthy of our faith, and he's not worthy of our worship. And an infinite God is no God at all. And only a God that can create life can resurrect it. Only a God that created life can reverse all the effects that death has. So we're right to ask questions. We really have to work on this. And this is the problem, or this is the challenge sometimes with being a Christian because it takes work. We want stuff to come to come easy, and we want to do our own things, but then we have the world seeping into everything that there is and, and twisting everything that we hear. And so if we don't know the Word. If we don't know God, we're bound to get duped. And that's what's happening here today, that we're getting duped to save. Just like in, in Genesis with the snake says, well, you know, it's, it'll be all right if you go ahead and eat the fruit. You know, you won't really die. I know God said that, but you're good. We see that here today. No, it's, it's okay. You don't have to really do all that, all that stuff. The, the, the Bible is ancient and it doesn't have any effect on things today. Or if you don't know the scriptures, you don't know any better to begin with. This is why it is so vitally important as we ask questions and we seek the answers in scripture. We seek the answers through prayer. The only way to get to know, know somebody is to talk to them. Right? So we get to hear God speak to us through his word when we read it. Those of you who have relationships here today, whether it be your spouse, friends, family, what kind of relationship would you have if you've never talked to them? Like, oh, yeah, we never talk, but we're best friends. I, I don't never heard anybody say that. Because you spend time together. You're, you're calling, up on, calling them up on the phone and something happened. You want to reach out and tell somebody about it. You, you want to celebrate. You want to call up your friends and family. Come celebrate with me. When you're, you're down and, and sad or you're mourning and grieving, you want to have loved ones around you. You want to spend time with them. But we want to have a relationship with God and not spend time with him. What kind of relationship is that? that we don't prioritize our time in Scripture. We don't prioritize our time in, in prayer. We don't prioritize our time to come together with the, brother, the brothers and sisters and believers in Christ so that we can grow in our relationship with Him. 
But let me share with you how dope God is. This is this is really worth getting excited about. I could I could just I mean I, all week I'm just excited just just especially for this part. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 and 51 says, "Behold, I tell you a mystery." So that's already getting me excited. Who doesn't want to hear about a mystery? We've already been asking questions and we got this unimaginable thing about the resurrection and here we have Paul's going to tell us about a mystery. It says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. I don't know about you, but I want to, I need to be changed. Not just I want to be changed. I need to be changed. For the perishable body must put on the imperishable and the mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. This, this, is, the, this is the good part. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't tell me nothing because God is on my side. Even death, my, my God has victory over death. For the believer, death has been conquered. For the believer, we have victory over sin, whether it's murder, adultery, alcoholism, drug addiction. You have already gotten the victory over those things in your life because of who Jesus Christ is, because what he's done for you. You don't have to struggle because God has taken care of that. You just need to come to him. You just need to follow him. Jesus gave up his life on the cross, and when he did so, he said, it is finished. He took care of it. He paid the price. And as he said, it is finished, that's, that's translated from the, the Greek, and the Greek word used here is an accounting term that means paid in full. And this is amazing to me because Jesus wasn't paying his own debt. He didn't have no bill. He wasn't paying his own debt. He was paying yours. He paid your debt on the cross when he chose to give up his life. The bill that you ran up because your pockets were empty, Jesus paid for that. He paid for your lying. He paid for your unfaithfulness. He paid for your disobedience. He paid for your cheating. He paid for your selfishness. He, he paid it all. And it was your debt. You were meant to pay that. The wages of sin is death. That's what you owe. You owe all the, the debt that you ran up in order to pay for that. You rightly deserve death. That's what you have coming to you. That's what you deserve. But Jesus paid it all. 
He paid it for you so that you can be with him. Through the resurrection, God shows us how much he loves you. 1 John 3 and 16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. That's real love. You, you really can't get much deeper than that. Laying down your life for somebody else. Brothers and sisters, you are greatly loved. If you don't leave here with anything else today, I want you to know that. I love you, but I mean, that pales in comparison to God. As much as I want to try to love you more, I can't love the way Jesus loves. John 15 and 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that somebody lay down his life for his friends. You are loved. You are valued. You are important. And I don't want you to get caught up in this self-love garbage because you might struggle with loving yourself, but Jesus doesn't struggle. Jesus doesn't have to struggle to love you. He made a decision to love you before the foundations of the world. He, he knew how you were going to mess up. He knew how you were going to stray, but he still chose to love you and give up his life for you. Who else is going to do that? Somebody say a cross word to us, like, ah, man, I'm going to forget that. I don't have to deal with that. I don't have to deal with people talking to me that way. They didn't even say thank you. I did all this stuff for them, and they didn't even say thank you. They couldn't return the favor. Man, we do that to Jesus time and time. I mean, moment after moment, every single day. But he still chose to love you. He still chose to give up his life for you. Knowing that you're going to act crazy and go your own way half the time. You might think you're not valuable, but God thinks you're valuable. Jesus loves you so much that he sacrificed his life so that you can live. He loved you so much that he gave up his life and he rose again. I hope that you're beginning to grasp this concept of the resurrection and why it's truly important, even though it's unimaginable for us. I hope that you're really getting a sense for how important it is for us as Christ followers. And as we talk about the historical facts and proof, here's how the Apostle Paul lays it out in 1 Corinthians 15 and 3. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. Paul here is resetting the stage. He's like, look, this is the gospel. This is what's important for you to remember and take away. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Verse 4 says that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Listen, we talk about what we believe and what we don't believe, but if it's not foundational, it's not found in the scripture, you got nothing. Well, I feel like, you know, the... This is happening, and this is how God is calling me to this area. If you can't point back to Scripture, 
than uh, you on sinking sand. This is what Paul is, is showing us here. Look, I didn't just tell you all this stuff. All the stuff I told you is true, not because I said it, because God says it. We can't be wishy-washy here. So verse 4, he says that he was buried and he raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. And he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at a time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles. Last of all, to the one untimely born, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So he starts with, hey, this is all the stuff I told you. All of it's founded in scripture, but here's the proof. Here's the extra. If that's not good enough for you, here's what happened. All these unimaginable facts after Jesus died and was locked in the tomb, that he was seen alive by Peter and the apostles according to the scriptures, right? The scriptures said this was going to happen. Then, then he was seen by 500 people at one time. Then he was seen by James and Paul. So, hey, I'm telling you this, the, the, the scriptures already told us it's going to happen. It happened, and if you want to go talk to these folks, you can go talk to them. They'll verify everything that happened. They're still around. He says, well, some of them have died. Some of them have passed on, but there's still folks around. You can go verify this story. So here's my testimony. I know Jesus is alive. I used to be a skeptic. I looked at all the evidence as much as I can find. And it led me here. It led me to where I am right here today. Trying to refute it. Trying to make sense. Remember, I, I'm using my wisdom. I'm using my brain. I want to make this make sense for me. And it, it brought me here. I know what he's done for me. Just like Paul said, hey, here's everything that we see in the scriptures. And, and here's the, the, the evidence of that outpouring. I've seen God work in my life. Things that are unimaginable, things that are unexplainable. Like that. I mean, you just can't deny sometimes that that's God working. That you see his fingertips on everything that you're doing. And I can just see him working in my life. And I hope you that's your testimony as well. That firstly, everything that, that is, is found in the scripture that you understand and believe, you stand on, you know you can stand firm. And as you follow him, as you're being obedient to him, you just see him working. Brothers and sisters, even though the resurrection is unimaginable, it's true. This means that Jesus is alive, that he's still alive. This means there's a, a way to forgiveness. And that's what we call good news, that, that we can be forgiven. That as, as much as we've done in, in our lives, that we... Still again, there's nothing that is so bad that can't be covered by the blood of Jesus. He paid it all. He paid every penny, every dime, every cent for you. And let me tell you, I'm not, I haven't always been a pastor. 
I've done some things that I'm not, uh, uh, that I'm frankly ashamed of, that I'm not happy about. But it gives me something. It gives me, it makes me feel that much better and to have the assurance that, that Jesus has paid it all. And because of that, I can't do nothing but live for him. For what I've done and that he was able to forgive me, the least I can do is live for him. The least I can do is tell somebody else about him because he's, he gave up his life for me. And that's unimaginable. And because he did that, it means that you can know him. You can trust him. You can live for him too. So even though it's unimaginable for us, this was no thing for God. This was his plan for the very beginning. This was not plan B or C or D. He's like, oh, well, that didn't work. I got to start over here. That didn't work. Well, maybe this thing will work. No, that's not, that's not what happened. He had a plan for the very beginning, knowing that you were going to go astray, knowing that you're going to try to, to find your own way. He says, I, I need them to know that they need a Savior. I need them to know that they can't do this on their own. I need them to know that they can't uphold God's holy laws. And so I'm going to send somebody to do it for them. Praise God that he did that. He did it for you. That's how much he loves you. So if you're here today and you have not submitted your life to Christ and to follow him and you've got questions, remember, questions are good. That's what I'm here for. That's what our deacons are here for, to help you answer those questions, to walk alongside you. What does it look like for you to authentically live out your faith from day to day? How can I follow Jesus? We like to say here, we're here to grow, thrive, and serve. This is our mission here at the church, to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ, to thrive as a body of believers, and to serve Bolingbrook in a greater community. That's what we're about. How do I do that in my life? We'd love to answer that question for you. I'm going to be here. Um, we're going to have John over here as well. So if you uh, have questions uh, that, that we can help answer, you need or want prayer, we would love to, to, to help you with that and serve you in that way. Or, or maybe you're here today and, you know, it, it happens that, that, you know, yes, I accepted Christ, but, man, I haven't been doing what I need to be doing. I know how that is. I, I went to Bedside Baptist for a long time. Like, I, I can just sit here and read my Bible on my own. I don't need to go anywhere to worship. But, man, so I know how, how it is to, to come back and just feel like, man, I just need to get started again. Let's, let's walk alongside you. There's no judgment. We've, many of us have been there. Let's walk together. That's why we have a body of believers. So we'd love to have that conversation with you as well. There's some contact cards in, in the, the seat in front of you. Um, you can fill that out with prayer requests. If uh, you don't want to come forward and have a prayer at the moment, but you can send that, put that in offering plate on your way out as well. We'd love to be praying for you this week. So let's pray now. Lord God, uh, thank you so much for helping us to understand and see the importance of the resurrection Help us not to take it for granted. I, I am so thankful that you care enough for us, that you want to have a relationship with us. And this is something that we ought not take lightly. So, Lord, just help us to live for you. Help us to, 
do what you've called us to do. And we, we know that we're not going to get anywhere near perfection, but we trust that you'll continue to work on us. You'll continue to sanctify us and, and, and mold us into your image. And we're just grateful and thankful to see that. Father, uh, if there's anybody under the sound of my voice that might have questions about how they can live for you, uh, let them not leave here today without asking a question and connecting with someone that can help them on their journey. So, Father, I thank you for all that you've done, all that you will do. In the precious name of Jesus, amen.